0: You ever found yourself just kind of marveling over something that has been made? You ever found yourself marveling over um, the, the person who made it? So let me just kind of give you a little example. I remember uh, the summer before senior, Courtney's senior year of college, she went to to London to study abroad and like many of you and uh, when she was in London one of the things that she would, would do is on the weekend she would go and just kind of sightsee and I remember her telling me that uh, when she went to see Stonehenge. Have any of you guys ever seen? Stonehenge? Raise your hand if you've ever seen it. Two or three. I can't really hand you like your hands are right here. Raise them up high if you've seen it. Let's see those hands. Yeah okay so this is going to connect with you. I remember she was saying that she went there and she saw it and she was just like blown, awi- blown away by what had been made. Like how in the world in a world with without the technology of power tools were they able to lift these huge stones on top of each other and she was just marveling at what had been made and marveling over the one who had made it we were talking on Thursday and Andrew said yeah just kind of made me think about the pyramids I mean have you guys been to to Egypt and seen the the pyramids one person yes three people a few people okay let's all go on a field trip I think that'd be so awesome but uh, I I just think Anne is for that yes and uh, so you, you think about this like how in the world did did they build these things just marvel at what had been made and those who had made it. Or I think about, this kind of a smaller example, my friend Ben, and if you know Ben, he, he and our buddies in college, and the thing about him is he just is so brilliantly creative with creating things and using his hands. And, and so I remember walking to the house that he lived in in college, and it's like all the furniture in his house he had built, like, He built this table and he built this bench, and on their walls was all this artwork that he had created. I remember just like walking through, just like eyes wide open, being like, "Man, I barely know how to change the oil in my truck, and here this guy is, and he's just so brilliant." I'm just amazed at at him and at what he created. Think about a couple years ago, I came into the office and. in our office was this prayer bench. I don't know if you've ever seen kind of like the individual prayer bench, some other kind of church traditions. Uh, maybe you had this growing up. And, and I remember he had built this like custom prayer bench out of wood. And I remember just walking in and I was just like, that is incredible, like. And then I knew that he had built it because it was for Dave and it's Dave's brother-in-law. I remember just being in awe of what had been made and who had made it. And, but it didn't just stop there. I, I know that the reason he made this was for a purpose, that. That he gave it to us as a staff, as a team, so that we would get on our knees and we pray for our church. And, and I was just kind of thinking about that progression of when something is made, it points to the one who made it. But there's always a purpose for the reason it's made. And this morning, we're going to be in this powerful story in Ephesians 2, this powerful passage. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. And this is just a, it's just a picture of the church the, the glorious global church which Jesus died for, which Jesus is coming back for. And My hope this morning is that as we spend our time looking at Ephesians 2, these 10 verses, that, that we will find ourselves marveling at three things. That we will find ourselves marveling over what has been made. We'll find ourselves marveling over the church. The second thing I hope we find ourselves doing is marveling over the one who made it, God. And then I hope we find ourselves marveling over the purpose for which the church has been made. So let's talk about this kind of first idea, the what has been made the church and it's interesting because I know that we all hear that differently when you hear that word church we 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 all come at that with with different baggage and different beliefs that some of you when you hear the word church you you think of buildings and bells and pews and stained glass as some of us, when, when you hear the, the, the word church, you think about this place where you really came to know the Lord, and it's just this kind of sweet spot tucked away in your heart. Some of you think about the place that the people that wounded you and hurt you so deeply. And I want to just invite us this morning to, to come at this text, looking at the, the, the church that is described in Scripture with just an openness. Because I think we'll be surprised. It, the church is a lot different than what of us have been told, than a lot, than what a lot of us have been told, than what a lot of us think, a lot of, than what a lot of us perceive the church to be. So let's jump into verse one. Look at what's been made. This is Paul writing. He says, "As for you," that word "you" is so important. It's plural. It's not singular. He's talking to a group of people, not an individual. He's talking to a church. He says, "As for you," ethos at Marathon on May fifteenth. As says you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Listen to this. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, welcome to Ethos. What a great pick-me-up text for this beautiful Sunday morning, right? And, and Paul says a lot here. and We could spend a lot of time kind of digging into the, to all the words and all the kind of variations and things that he's saying here. But I don't want us to miss the, the forest for the trees. And maybe we'll come back and kind of unpack this in detail one other time. I'll let Andrew do that. Um, but this morning, I, w- I want us to see the forest for the trees. And here's what Paul is saying, that, that there was a time when each and every one of us we're separated from God is our own choice that there was a time when each of us some of us were there some of us are still there right now because of our own choices we decided to cut ties with God and it's not fun to talk about it's not fun to think about I'm like God man driving in this morning I'm like man, this is a hard text but the reality is we can't just look at the texts that make us feel good. We can't just look at the, the texts and Scripture that make, like, pat us on our back. We have to, to wrestle with the, the reality of the things that are revealed in Scripture. And he looks at us and he says, There was a time when each and every one of us, so if you're sitting in a seat, this applies to you, that, that there was a time when each of us, we were far from God, we were separated from God, we wanted nothing to do with the authority, we wanted nothing to do with the relationship with God. There's a time that each of us, we exist simply for our purposes and our pleasures that the world revolved around us. Oh, it's very fun to talk about, isn't it? Like Paul says this, he says there's a time where you, you just gratified every thought that passed through your head. There's a time that that every feeling that just kind of surged up in your heart or in your mind, you you didn't place it before God. You weren't thinking about how it would affect God and others. There was a time when each and every one of us, we we just live for ourselves. He said you just you followed your, your own inclinations, you gratified gratified your own desires, your flesh. And he talks about this in the book right before Ephesians and Galatians. And he describes this. He says, Man, it's sexual immorality, it's impurity, it's idolatry. It's selfish ambition. It's envy. And you can go back and read this in Galatians 5 verse 20 if you want to read it. And he says, man, here's what's going on. That there was a time when each of us we lived this way. That this is our story. That you're lonely on a Saturday night, and so you called up your girlfriend. And she came over to your house, and, and you cared nothing about living in the authority of Jesus. You cared nothing about walking in holiness, and you just followed your own desires. There was a time when you, you had a hard week, and instead of turning to God instead of turning to him and pressing in you turn to your own vices for coping and stress. And he says this is all of our story like it's not just one of us here it's not just two of us like we are all guilty so we don't need to point fingers like we're going we need to sit under this right now like this was our story this is our story. This is a life that all of us live. And I mean how depressing if if this is where the story stopped right like you would never come back to this church, right? If this is your first time, you're like, I'm not coming back anyway. But, but you think about this, if, if this is where the, the story ended, like how depressing. But the story doesn't stop here. We can't stop here. Paul doesn't stop here. God doesn't stop here. And yet how often we stop here. That the enemy has so convinced us that this is the end for all of us. That this is our story. This is who we were. That there's no recovering. There's no repenting. There's no getting out of this. And, and we're not made to stop here. You guys ever been on a road trip out west? Have I mean, you guys ever driven, like, on a road trip, like, through Kansas to California? And raise your hands up high if you've ever done this before. Um, if you stop at verse 3, it's like stopping in Kansas when you're meant for California. <laughs> I'm serious. Kansas is the worst state in America. Like, <laughs> I hope I offended some of you. Um, no, but, but, but seriously, like, if, if you stop at verse 3, it's it's despair. It's disappointment, it's sadness. It's literally like living in Kansas, right? Like, but, but, but we don't stop in verse three. What, we weren't made for, for this to be our end goal. We weren't made to be separated and, 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 and far from God. We weren't made for rebellion to have the period and, and the, the end of our sentence. What does he say in verse four? Listen to this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Can't wait to talk about that in just a minute. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Listen to this. It is by grace you've been saved. It is by grace you've been saved. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Jesus Christ. And he seated us with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Listen to the words, the beauty of what Paul is saying, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For as by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's see the forest. Let's not not miss the, 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 the forest for the trees. He says, there was a time that though you were dead, Because of God's work through Jesus, you've been made alive. There was a time that you were separated from God, but because of God's work through Jesus on your behalf, now you are saved. There was a time that you and I deserved wrath and punishment, but because of God's work through Jesus on our behalf, we get to forever live in the favor and in the presence of God. Let that down into your heart. And this, my my friends, is the church. It's not a building. It's not a group of people who have it all figured out. It's not a bunch of people that that have all the answers, though that's the the mask that we put on for way too long. No, the the, the church, the, the picture, what has been made is a group of people who deserved wrath, who deserved separation, who deserved all that we chose when we rebelled against God because of God's work through Jesus, Him crucified, Him resurrected. We are people who are no longer marked by our sin and separation. We are marked by our salvation by where we are seated. I love that he says you are seated in the heavenly realms and what he's literally saying is that you have a spot in heaven that God has prepared a place for you. You've been seated in the heavenly realms. I go guys look at what has been made. Look at the church The church is is us. We've been saved. We've been seated in the heavenly realms. Look at this. Marvel at this. Leah, you will be with God forever. Think about this. Nick, you you will see Jesus face to face. You'll be with him forever. Corinne, you will be with Jesus forever and ever. Nicole, you'll spend your eternity gazing upon the one who died for you. Charles, you'll be with God forever and ever. Austin and Aaron, you'll see God face to face. We will know his realness. Look at what has been made. Though we deserved wrath, we get mercy. Look at what has been made. Though we deserve separation, we get salvation. Wow, God. Look at what has been made. Let's look at the one who made it. Let me just ask you this for a minute. How, how, did, how did we get to this place? Like those of us who are in Christ, like Byron, did you, uh, did you get salvation because like you've just meticulously kept this word like for the 30 years that you've lived your life? Is that how old you are? Are you 30? How old are you? 32? You look so much younger than that, man. You look like you're 30. How, how did we get this way? You know, Taylor, how did you, how, how did you get in the family? Is it because you have such a f- fantastic, phenomenal prayer life that, that you've just managed to stay in connection with God? Like, you know, think about this. Like, how did, we, how did we get this salvation? How did we get this seating in the heavenly realms? And so often we think it's by our own doing, our own actions. And yet the scripture tells us is that the reason you and I have the salvation, the reason you and I are seated, is only because of God. Let's look at the one who's made it. I love the way that the the, the text describes. I'm just gonna point out a few things about our God. I love that it says that he is rich in mercy. How would your friends describe you as rich in? It's like Joshua, if your friends are gonna describe you, what would they say you're rich in? Think about Buddy Logan and say, Logan's rich in creativity, he's just got a surplus. He's great at it. Rob and Char, they're, they're rich in kindness. And I go around the room and I could just point out different things that I see in, in, in all of you guys. Uh, that there are qualities, that there, there are things inside of you that you are rich in, that you are in abundance, that you have an abundance in. And I love what Paul says. He's a friend of God. And he says, if you want to know what God is like, he is rich in mercy. That there is not a, 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 a slacking. There's, there's not just a, a, a little bit of, of the forgiveness and the compassion of God. He is rich in mercy. Has this been your experience with God? Have you experienced a God who is rich in mercy? I had a conversation with a friend a little while ago, and, and she was telling me kind of in her tears, she said, no matter how many times I've, so I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, no matter how many times I've run away from God, how no many times I've hardened my heart and, and just straight up rebelled, she said, God has never given up on me. She's like crying. She's saying, he's always welcomed me back because God is rich in mercy he's rich in forgiveness that there are many of us this morning and we're sitting in these pews and not these pews these are not pews these are chairs and we're sitting in these chairs and and we we need the forgiveness we need the mercy of God for the 99th and 100th, and 101st and 102nd and thousandth time and and here's the good news he is rich in mercy God is rich in mercy. He says he has this great love for us. And many of us come this morning, we don't believe that about God. You do not believe that God loves you. You believe that you've done too much. You've gone too far. You've been away for too long. You do not believe that God loves you. And let me just share the good news with you. The type of God that would send his son To be rejected and spit upon and hated and nailed to a cross to save us. The only way you can describe that kind of love is a deep and great love. I love this church so much. I'm just telling you, though, I would never offer Finley and Jones for you. Like, if someone makes me choose, you guys are done every time. Like, I'm just sorry. That's just the way it works. Like, for, for my kids, and yet we see this different picture of God. He's not motivated out of obligation. God doesn't owe us anything, but he loves us. He sent his one and only son to die for us. What great love. I love that Paul says that he gives us this gift. You know, a gift is not earned, it's not deserved. In fact, a gift speaks more of the generosity and the kindness of the giver than it does anything. And I love this, this verse that he tells us that in verse 7. He says, the, the, though you are Christians, though you've been given the Holy Spirit, though you've been given salvation, he said the, the best is yet to come for you. So there, there's going to be a day, and I don't know what you think about heaven. You know, don't you think about the life after this, the age that is to come. But so often we think about the things of heaven. Oh, I'm going to be reunited with my grandmother. I'm going to, you know, see all these cool things. There's not going to be sickness. There's not going to be pain. And we get so sidetracked by all these secondary issues. And what he is saying is that the real crown, the real joy of heaven is that you get to stand face to face with Jesus. You get to look the one in the eyes who, whether you believe it or not, it's true, he died for you. You'll stand face to face. You will never encounter a love as deep as Jesus'. is. not in this world. I have a feeling that there's going to be a day that that we stand in front of Jesus and we don't care about anything else in heaven because we just we feel and experience real love for the first time. And God says, "I've got this for you. I've got this for you. This is our God. He's acted on our behalf." Look at what's been made. We deserve wrath and punishment and separation. Those are things that we chose, and yet He has made us out of something totally different. Look at what has been made. Look at the one who's made it, and then look at the purpose for which it's been made. Verse ten says, "For we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do." My friend Ben created the prayer bench. You know, he never intended for us just to to see this and to to think about how wonderful, how excellent the creation was itself of the bench. He he never intended for us just to to marvel at his skill and his creativity in being able to build it. No, the the reason that he built this is so that we would use it. And I think we've missed this for a long time as, as Christians, especially in the South, Probably globally, but I've just lived my whole life in the South, so that's why I can pick on the South. And, but then we spend a lot of our time looking at what has been made. We talk about how amazing it is, and it is amazing that we've been given. We spend all of our time looking at God, and we should do that. But we neglect getting on the prayer bench and praying. We, we, we neglect the, the good works. We neglect the thing that we've been made to do in this world. Our tendency is to get comfortable, to play it safe, to manage our own morality, to to look at us. And yet in verse 10, he says, no, we are God's handiwork. We've been created by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I encourage you to go home and just really chew on that that verse this week to let it soak into your heart the richness of what he's saying. Do you realize that God is going before us? That He'll do this the rest of our lives to to prepare good things for us to step into, to experience for His glory? This example is not going to connect with all of you because some of you hate chemistry and you hate your chemistry teacher. Um, But I remember in high school I had this amazing chemistry teacher and he loved chemistry and he loved us like learning it and knowing it. And so he would get to school early and he would set up all these experiments for us and he would have the Bunsen burners, and he would have the chemicals and and he would set all these things up, these experiences up. But the real joy came when we would experience the experiences that he prepared for us. That we would see things explode and we would see the reactions that that when fire would shoot out of the the tubes and all that thing, that, that he knew that the real joy came when we'd experience experiences that he prepared for us. And our God cares nothing about us just being a bunch of Christians who show up on Sunday and sit in an uncomfortable chair for an hour and 15 minutes. Like, if that is the extent of our good works, we're missing it. And it's a part of it. This is so meaningful and important. So don't hear me saying what I'm not saying, but there is some so much more that God has for us. To do good works. To do good works that God is going before us, He's preparing things for us to step into, that if we will experience Him, joy is found. I was talking to Dave this week, and he did a little research, and uh, he was talking about ants. It was like pesky things that you step on when you see them, you know, you hate when they get in your house. And he, he was telling me that, that one ant can carry up to, to 20 pounds, or not 20 pounds, that would be very impressive, like, <laughs> very impressive. Uh, that's a Dave story, right? Like, um, um, one ant could carry up to 20 times its body weight. It's like me carrying a car, <laughs> It in proportion for you? Say that, that, that one ant can carry up to 20 pa- times its body weight, but a, um, f- like a family of ants, a, whatever the technical word, a colony of ants, I think that's the word, could literally carry a school bus full of children. It's like, how does that work? Like, how, and what he's saying is that, that the strength that there is together is so much greater and so much more than the strength than they are apart. Do you notice it in this text? He he says, Good works for us to do. He doesn't say for for you and for me. He says, For us. That that there is something about God that He has prepared His church, not a bunch of individuals, but a family, a community, that He's prepared us to do. Good works together. And I love this church so much. And, And I was just kind of thinking this week how. The, the, the good works that I've, that I've seen in you. The, the, the things that God has been preparing that, that you've been stepping through. Think about with Hershey and sweet little boy in the neighborhood that Nicole and Cy have just loved and rallied around their family. He gets sick and passes away. And you guys paid for the funeral. Another family came along and paid for the tombstone. well, that's good works. Serving and loving. it's good works. thing about Matt and Kristen volrath I don't see them here this morning. I was hoping to really embarrass them because they're so quiet and they would hate if I was pointing this out, but they have been some of the most amazing regional house church leaders. And their involvement and their connection with the the house churches that they're praying for and and leading and caring for has been amazing. And it's good works. That they've been laying down their life this past year, just pouring into and praying for and laboring with their house church leaders, it's good works. I think about those of you who who just week in and week out, you, you pray for your friends that don't know Jesus. And you invite people to come with you to church. And it's good works. And I think the thing that the enemy is probably wanting us to, to feel right now is that those things that I've just listed, our tendency is so often to notice the things that we're not doing as individuals. And so we're like, oh man, I haven't done any of those things. And I think what God is wanting us to see is that, yes, you have. Because we are in this together. And that when one person does a good work, the body of Christ does a good work. And so we celebrate these things. We celebrate that God is swinging wide doors open for us and that we're getting to walk through them together. And so we courageously and boldly go, God, give us more. Give us more. We want more good works. We want to shine your glory. We want our people to leave this place and to do good works in this city so that you get all the glory. God, open doors. Open doors, open doors, open doors, God, open doors. So that we can be the church, so that good works can flourish. We are made to do this together. To lean on one another, to support each other. To call each other to more, to forgive each other. To compel each other, to inspire each other. We do this because what has been made, the one who made it. And this is our purpose. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're going to take communion here. We do this every week. We, we respond to God. We respond to His Word. We respond to the things that He's revealing in our hearts. And so Chris is going to get back up in just a minute. He's going to lead us in a, another time of worship. And, and I just want to invite you if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, man, step into the church. We are not perfect. We are so far from where God is is taking us, where we're going to end up. But there is a hope, there is a devotion, there is a joy that comes when you really know Jesus. Can't explain it until you experience it. There is a forgiveness, there is a a weightlessness, there is a, a, a life that just floods into you when you turn your life to Jesus. And so I invite you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, come to Him today. Give your life to Him. Step into this life. Step into the church. And if you want to talk or pray, give your life to Jesus today, there are going to be some men and women at the back The respond banner, the big red banner. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to tell you like, uh, how bad you've been, how bad you are. We're simply here to tell you who God is and what he's come to do for you. And if we can help, we can pray with you. Come to the back. We'd love to help you. If you are a follower of Jesus as we take communion, I want to just invite you to to, to literally gather your chairs with two or three or four or five other people. If you don't feel comfortable doing this, you don't have to do this. But but there's something really cool about us doing things together and and speaking. And and sometimes we just need to be quiet and private, and that's okay. But I really invite you to to, to share. As you're breaking the bread and drinking the cup, share some of the good works that you've seen. Share some of the good works that God has been doing in your life. Share some of the good works. And may the the testimony encourage those that you take communion with. Let's share. And I want to give us something to try this week as you leave. I invite you to write this down, because my, my, uh, my experience, and this is just me, but it might not be you at all, but if I don't write something down, if I don't think about it, I'm not just going like, to haphazardly like, stumble upon it this week, and so you've got to put these things like front and center, and so I invite you to write this down and to, to really put this in practice this week. Like, So this week, I want to invite you to do three things, to love, to listen, and to respond. to love, to listen, to respond. I want to invite you to literally in your phone every day this week, just set a reminder at 10 o'clock because that's what time we gather on Sundays. At 10 o'clock to remind yourself that your job this week is to love, to listen, to respond. Now, I believe that God is an absolute truth teller, that he's gonna prepare doors for us to, to walk into. And so I can't tell you, hey, you know, hey, Andrew, on Wednesday, you're gonna have an amazing opportunity to, to help somebody. Like, I can't tell you that, because I'm not God. God's the, om- he's the omniscient one. He's the one that, that puts all this, that orchestrates it all together. But I will tell you that, that we can posture our lives to be alert, to be ready, to notice the things that God has for us. And so this week, set a reminder on your phone at 10 o'clock every day. And then this week, uh, Wake up and, and, and just choose to commit to, to love people this week. So don't be so concerned with yourself and things that you have to get done. Uh, be a person that wakes up thinking about your coworkers and your family and your friends. Love people and love God. Worship Him. Pray to Him. Spend time with Him this week. Love. Second thing I'm going to invite you to do is to listen. Create space in your, in, your, in your week this week to have time for people. Don't be so scheduled out that, that you go from one meeting to the next, from one appointment to the next, that you don't have time to even listen to the, the very people in your life. Some of them are hurting. Some just need you to listen. So listen to them. Let's listen and let's listen to God. Create space in your week this week to listen to God. And let's respond. Let's have the courage to not just see needs and encounter people. Let's respond. Let's step to the doors that God opens for us. And we'll see the great joy that comes from being his church. Does that sound good? Cool. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. I pray that you will be forever the king of this church, the leader of this church, the chief shepherd, that we all bow to you, that we all look to you, that you are alone in our hope, that we don't put any hope or stock in anyone else in this room, that we are all brothers and sisters. You are our Father. Uh, You're our provider and our healer, and God, we need you. And I pray that in this space in communion, as we break the bread, as we drink the cup, that you'll do like you did in Luke 24. You'll open eyes, that we'll really understand who you are, Jesus. And uh, so join us in this place. I really pray for that. Don't let us just hear a sermon. Don't let this be it for us. Let us press in. Keep going. Keep going higher and further up. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.